Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. You know, this generation, which is all of us existing right now, okay? From oldest to young, that's a generation. Whatever weird thing we make up about Xers and Boomers and Greatest Generation and all that kind of stuff is kind of weird because we like to make stuff up. It's just the way we are as humans. But this generation that's alive today is seeking identity and longing for identity. Longing to belong. To be known, to know who in the heck am I? And and I don't know because we can't go into the hearts of all people, but who knows if we're longing greater than other generations have before us. But there is a great longing to understand who we are and to know that we belong to a family. That we belong to a family with a good heavenly father. A father that is so good and so loving that he surpasses all suffering and all loss and all hurt and all wounds so that we can have this great and an intimate love relationship with him for all eternity by choice. We choose our way into eternity, guys. You and I choose our way into God's family, and that's how God wanted it, because he wants your heart. He just wants my heart. And he wants to know that without a shadow of a doubt, that our pursuit and our struggle for him defines the way we really love. He wants to leave all doubt. He wants all doubt erased. That our love is genuine and it is proven through the struggle and the pursuit. But God wants to show up in each one of our lives. And you might feel like a prodigal. For some reason, there's a prodigal theme going on. Well, I think that reason is because the Father's love wants to show up. And when the Father shows up, he's looking for prodigals. He's looking for all his kids that are out wandering around lost and hurting and vulnerable and in the pig slop and struggling on their own. He's looking for us. When you lose your kid at Walmart, you start looking for him. Even no matter how badly they misbehaved. Am I right? Most of us? You're like, eh, I'll look for him in a few minutes. <laughs> No, when you're missing your kid, you're on high alert. It's just like you shift gears. It doesn't matter what you were picking out at the store, right? That thing gets dropped, you leave your stuff, you leave your coat, you'll leave your wallet, you'll leave all your stuff to go find your kid when they're missing. And when you find your kid, yeah, you might want to beat them. But you first want to hug him, right? You might want to clean him up. Say, don't ever do that again. 
Why do we say that to them? Don't ever do this again. Don't ever create a gap between you and me. Don't put yourself in such a position of being vulnerable because you could get hurt. You could get stolen. You could be lost. You could be harmed. It's out of love that we bring that kind of correction, not shame. And prodigals, I'm talking to everybody in the room right now. We've all been a prodigal at some layer in some way. All right? I mean, we could talk to the kids that are perfect, right? I don't know. I don't know how to talk to anybody like that. I'm far from that. I am the other guy, all right? You're not a mistake. You're not a mess. You're not unwanted. You're not messy and gross and a disappointment to the Father. You're not a disappointment to the church. You're not a disappointment to God's family. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you drank. What happened? You're not a disappointment. And when God sees you and when you come back in the church and you show up, it's arms around. I don't care what you smell like. God doesn't care what you smell like. He just wants to wrap his arms around you and say, don't do that again. Come on. I don't want to see you harmed and hurt again. Thank you for coming back. And in the story of the prodigal, the prodigal son was out and messing and wasting all of his inheritance, all of what God had given him and blessed him and the favor he had put on his life. And when he comes back, he's expecting his father to be mad at him and put him out in the you know, workforce and not accept him back. And he's like, I don't deserve any of that. And I wasted all this. And instead he gets a very different experience. The father runs to him and embraces him. And in the midst of his pig stuff and all his stank and non-showers and grossness and starvation, he puts a robe on him and he puts a ring on him and says, this is my kid. This is my heir. This is my son whom I love, and this is the church. God wants to invade his church with his love, not ours, with his. And his kind of love embraces every single one of his kids right where they're at. Heidi Baker told this story in her book, There's Always Enough, which is a pretty radical book. It messed me up when I read it. I'm kind of like, I can't read that again. She is weird. And she lives in a supernatural way that is freaky, and it will freak you out. And people judge her all the time because she's got all kinds of very eccentric behaviors. But judge her all you want. This woman lives in Calcutta or somewhere in India, right? And like the Africa, Africa, one of the most poverty, you know, stricken places. Like I told you, I read the book a long time ago. I wasn't even thinking about talking about this. I'm just thinking about her. And there's one time she sees a little girl who is somewhere between 12 and 13 or 14 years old. And she was covered in every kind of bug and grossness and disease. And she had no idea what this girl had, but she was really gross. And on the side of the road and being sold in prostitution. And Heidi Baker, the love of the father, came on her so powerfully. She stopped, had made them stop the car, and she went, and she just, embraced, she just embraced this little girl. 
and just picked her up and just took her in her car, would not let her go. She got everything that she had. It all, she got all of it, lice, whatever was on, and then she bathed her until that girl was well. Heidi would not let her go until she was well and she was saved and she was full of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of love that God wants to invade his church with. One that is just looking at the mess and just embraces it. There isn't one person here that needs to clean themselves up before they come to church. And there isn't one of your friends that needs to clean up before they show up. Because God's love is an embracing kind of love that never rejects and never says, oh, you're not, I'm, not, I'm not ready for this yet. It says, I'm going to get everything you've got. And I'm going to give you everything I have. All my love, all my compassion, all my uh, acceptance, all my forgiveness, is going to be just slathered all over you. God is making a deposit into the church today. Like right now, today, God is making a deposit into his church, and it's a grand deposit of his love. His love for you and his love for all his kids out there that no one wants to accept. I'm telling you, every single one. There is no easy path to creating a place of belonging. There's no easy road. That road for Heidi Baker was no easy road. It sounds beautiful when you say it the way I just said it, but doing that, there was nothing beautiful about doing that. There was nothing easy about doing that. The beauty was in the pursuit and in the struggle that she would love that little girl she never met, never knew so much to rescue her from a life of disaster and of death to give her life and to risk whatever she was going to get for all of that. There's this guy in the Bible named Jacob. We're going to talk about his life a little bit. We're going to talk about Jacob's anointing. And Jacob is this uh, very flawed, like, central figure in the people of God. And Jacob is the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, okay? So it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And there was a promise given to Abraham that he'd be the father of nations. And then um, this guy Jacob is born. And the way he was born is like a metaphor for his whole life of what he pursued and what he was after. If we look in Genesis 25, 25, the first to come out, this is when he was born. He was twins with this other guy named Esau. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. I've seen guys like that. They look warm. So weird. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Demetria, you're so funny. <laughs> so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, and his hands were grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country while Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. 
Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. This is kind of a messed up family. I like this hairy kid because he feeds me meat, and she likes her other son because he stays home and, I don't know, hangs out with her, talks to her. But there's this thing that Jacob is after, even from his birth, and he's, he's after the birthright and the blessing of God, even from his birth. And it's this amazing thing, is that he comes out and he's like hanging on to his heel, but his name uh, meant basically like trickster or, you know, shenanigan puller. That's basically what Jacob's name meant. And, um, but he wanted something that his older brother didn't want, wasn't really concerned for. And Jacob had this desire, this passion to go after something God had, I believe, supernaturally put in his heart. But I believe God put this supernatural thing in Jacob's heart and also strategically put him in position to not have it. For it not to just be given to him. For it not to just be handed to him easily. Right? And I believe God is working in our lives in a similar way that there is an anointing that you're not in position for that God wants you to pursue and to struggle for and to reach for. It's there. It could be yours. You're just not given it. In Genesis 27, 29, we see a whole bunch of stuff happens, and I'll sort of recap it just by reading this, but um, we see Isaac is about to bless his sons. And he's going to give the blessing to his oldest son. And um, Isaac doesn't know that Jacob had already pulled a shenanigan on Esau and traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. So the birthright was a double portion of God's favor and blessing that was put onto the firstborn sons. And this started... Uh, basically from Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and they passed it on. And then it happened also after the time of Israel when, when, when in Egypt when the, um, God redeemed the firstborn sons in the last plague against Egypt. And from there, this blessing and favor was on the firstborn sons. They were able to not only have a double portion, but also they had right to the priesthood. It's kind of a big deal. And that stayed until... God put that favor on the, on the Levites, and then the priesthood moved to the Levites, and now that priesthood is on his heirs, his kids, which is his people, his church. That same favor, that first right, birthright, blessing, double portion, and the blessing of ministering the priesthood is now on his church. All his people is now accessible to all of us. It's kind of an amazing thing. So as you read this, I want you to keep that in mind. And this is the time when Jacob is pulling another shenanigan because he, he wants the blessing and the birthright. And he doesn't care how he's going to get it. He values it so much that he's willing to pull all these shenanigans to get it. And he puts on a bunch of fur and stuff on his hands, and he puts on his man sweater, his fake man sweater, so he looks like Esau, right? And then he sneaks in, and he has his, you know, they prepare this, the stew that he was supposed to make for Isaac, and 
he tricks his dad, basically, so that he'll get the blessing. And, and uh, Isaac was blind, so he fell for it. And he blesses Jacob, and he says, May nations serve you, and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and, many, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After this, <clears throat> after Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had uh, scarcely left his father's presence, this, his brother Esau comes in from hunting. He said, your brother came in deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named? This, second, this is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And then Isaac prays for him. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from, uh, off from your neck. Esau had a grudge against Jacob, rightfully so, because of the blessing of his father, father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for, for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. He was kind of ticked about this. You can imagine why, right? I mean, he was not exactly uh, happy that his brother had tricked him. But when Esau, this is the thing I want you to get, is that if Esau wanted his birthright and the blessing as badly as Jacob did, he would have had it. But Esau's out shooting stuff, trying to earn the favor for his father and kill stuff or whatever. I don't know. He's out there getting his food, you know, and hunting. And then he's really hungry coming back. And Jacob's just sitting there, minding his old business, making himself a stew. And his brother comes up and his brother's so hungry for what he needed naturally that Jacob just nonchalantly goes, yeah, you can have this stew if you just give me your birthright. Esau's like, whatever, what good is my birthright if I die of starvation? Like, that's how much he valued the anointing. That's how much he valued the favor, the double portion, so much that he would just trade it for a meal. And, and, and church, this, this happens, this, this opportunity is in front of all of us to exchange our birthright, our double portion, our blessing, our priesthood, anointing for a bowl of stew. It happens through all kinds of impurities, guys. All kinds of impurities. From the way we think, to the way we behave, to what we do, or who we decide we're going to be with, what we compromise, everything we compromise in exchange of our birthright for a bowl of stew. And the Lord wants to fill a vessel that's pure and that's heart is set aside to serve him and pursue him and struggle with him and just go hard after his heart and him. That's where he wants to fill. He wants to fill that. And he wants us to stop exchanging our anointing, our favor for bowls of stew. But we have to see the blessing and the anointing as something worth going after. We have to see it even from our birth, like Jacob, something we're just going to reach and pursue and struggle for from the beginning to the end. And this is why Jacob, in that moment, was even thinking about 
making this trade. Because he was thinking about that birthright all the time. I want that thing. I want it. And I, I don't care what position I'm in. I want to have it. Now, I think there were healthier ways that Jacob could have gone about doing this. Right? He didn't have to play all these shenanigans and tricks. He could have probably pursued that birthright in a way healthier way than all these tricks. And in fact, I know that's true because he had to pay for it. He actually paid a pretty big cost for messing all this stuff up, even though it was still worth it to him. And this is why he's so flawed and how God is so cool that he will work with us flawed humans. He's like, You'd, we make mistakes and we think we're going after God and we're doing this and that and we make these exchanges and we make these, uh, we, we, we create all these little bumps in the road for ourselves and struggles and then God just keeps working with us. He's like, you're gonna get it. Like, listen, you're gonna get this. And then he keeps working with us. And then some point in our life, if we press and we struggle and we pursue enough, we get our breakthrough. I believe the church is on the edge of a breakthrough. But do we want to hang on to it? Are we going to struggle? Are we going to pursue? Are we going to fight for it? And God is testing his church, guys. He tests his church. It really is a thing. But this crazy thing happens. Um, is, look in Genesis 29. So after all this, he, Jacob books it out of there because Esau's going to kill him. And uh, he goes off to his uncle Laban's place. And so in um, Genesis 29, 15, he, this is what happens. Says, Laban said to him, just because you're my, a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Um, now, Leah had weak eyes, poor thing. And, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for you for seven years in return for your youngest daughter, Rachel. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his great love for her. Oh, so sweet. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. It's time. It's time. I want to make love to her. This is in the Bible. I'm reading it. Okay. So Laban brought together all the people in the place for a feast. But when evening came, I'm just not sure how this exactly happens. Okay. So when evening came, <clears throat> he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob uh, made love to her. This is Leah, not Rachel, right? He worked seven years for Rachel. And then he gave him the ugly daughter sneakily gave him the ugly girl in the middle of the night. And he's like, guys, this is why we should really be careful about how much alcohol we drink, okay? Because that's the only missing piece in all of this that I'm going like, either this guy has a lot of struggle. He's got a lot of fight. He's got a lot of grit, but he's not very observant. He's all like, this fine girl, oh, she's so nice. She's a fine figure. She's so pretty. Oh, I can't wait to have her. Seven years he's working for this chick, and he can't tell it's her. He's like, gets her in the tent, and he can't even tell it's not her. He wakes up in the morning all surprised. Don't drink. Okay, I'm just saying, like, 
Can you end up with the girl you thought was pretty, but she just is not? Okay. Or the dude. Okay, it works both ways. All right. <clears throat> when morning came, there was Leah. <laughs> I just have so many thoughts in my head. <laughs> He's like, yeah. What are weak eyes? What does that look like exactly? <laughs> okay. So, anyway, there she was. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? You gave me your ugly daughter. I served you for Rachel. Why have you deceived me? Oh, gee, wonder why this happened to the deceiver, old trickster Jacob, after all the shenanigans he pulled. And then the Lord's like, okay. This is how you want to get favor and you want to get blessing. You want to get this done. You're going to do it your way. You're going to like figure it all out. He's like, it's kind of crazy because God has his favor even in his flaws on, this, on, on Jacob. He's like, okay, I'm going to teach you even though you're going about this the wrong way. You're going after something that makes me proud of you and you're going about it the wrong way. And God knows how to teach us the lesson. He is a wizard. He is a Jedi master of all masters. And he just Mr. Miyagi's you and me all the time. If you know Karate Kid reference, you know what I'm talking about. Wax on, wax off, right? Sand the floor, paint the fence, paint the house. God is doing this to you and I and teaching us spiritual martial arts all the time. And we're all mad about it like Danny LaRusso, right? We're a bunch of whiny little Danny LaRussos. Why do I have to paint the fence, Mr. Miyagi? I don't understand. And the Lord's just like, paint the fence, right? Sun <laughs> the floor. That was better than the German accent I did last, last week, wasn't it? <laughs> Uva, you're gonna have to, we're going to have to have some coffees. You're going to have to help me work that German accent in, figure it out. Okay. Broaden my spectrum of stuff. So Jacob just gets, he just gets taken on this deal, man. And he's like, well, if you want my other daughter, then you got to work another seven years. And so he, he like sucks him into another seven years so he can get Rachel. And he's all like, fine, fine, I'll do it. He like, he wanted Rachel bad, didn't he? He's like, I guess I'll take the ugly one too. It's already done. I can't do anything about it. So I, but I want this girl that I work for. So he gets her and then he, you know, works another seven years for that right to have her as his wife. And you know what? In every good story, a uh, love story, that it's, it's always like the centerpiece of these stories is where um, someone is in the midst of this struggle and they, 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 there's an obstacle between them and the love that they have and they're mad at each other, and the, the one person, whoever it is, it's the guy or the girl, and it, all these things always happen at an airport, right? So you can't have a true love story unless the pinnacle happens at an airport, right? And so it's always, will the guy or will the girl, like, 
run after the person after they've had their conflict. And then he's in, the person or the guy or the gal is in this place of indecision of like, am I going to really fight for this thing? Am I going to really chase after this person? And do I really want to do that? And every time when that struggle is happening, what are we doing when we're on the other end of the, the story in the television? We're going like, just do it, you idiot. Just go, go. And then when he goes, we're like, yeah, let's go. Right? Josh, I know you get up and dance like that when they run after him. You (laughs) just get up and boogie. We get excited when the person finally decides they're going to chase after their love. And whatever obstacle it is, they're going to bust through the security. They're going to run down the ramp. They're going to go in and they're going to sing the song over the intercom, right? That was a wedding singer quote, if you didn't notice. Okay. We're just going to do whatever it takes to win that love, to overcome that obstacle, to go after it. And all of us want that. God loves a good chase. He loves a good chase. He really does. And you know what? No matter what our flaws are, God doesn't care. He's going to work through any and all of our flaws so that we can pursue and overcome them. But he's going to work them out in the pursuit and the struggle. And in the midst of this pursuit and struggle that Jacob has this big challenge of, does he love Rachel enough to work 14 years to earn her hand? Well, that decision after he gets the ugly girl and he's like seven more years, he's like, seven more years, this joker. She was worth it to him. Rachel was worth it to him. The blessing, the double portion, the thing that he wanted, the favor that he wanted from God to fulfill the destiny that God had placed on his life, it was worth it to him to work and to struggle and pursue. Is it worth it to you? Come on, is it going to be worth it to us to go after and struggle no matter what the obstacles are? And you know what? No matter what the obstacles we lay in front of ourselves are, Like, honestly, that was Jacob's fault. Come on. Dude got drunk before his wedding. He got busy with the wrong sister in the tent. And he could have figured that out. Honestly, if he would have been sober that night, he'd have been like, yeah, no, you're not the right gal. Like, get get out of here. Give me the one you already promised me. And he would have saved him seven years of trial and suffering. Just saying. If he would have, if he would have, led himself differently. He didn't have to deceive Esau to get the birthright. He could have traded Esau. He could have made a real deal with Esau that was equitable because he didn't really want that blessing anyway, right? He could have done that. You and I have options in our life as we're pursuing God and going after the thing that he's placed on our heart. We don't always have to do it Jacob's way. But the thing that God loves about characters like Jacob and David and, and even Elijah, you're using a great example of Elijah and his grumpiness and all this stuff. God still blesses us. And he still works through us and with us. And, and, and honestly, I think God smiles about some of this stuff. And he's like, these kids of mine. You know? I mean, that's how I feel about my kids. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this kid. He's so weird. I don't ever say that about my girls very often. Like, they're so weird. They are a little bit weird from time to time. But God 
loves when we pursue him and we struggle. And he's so good that he is just willing to allow us to figure it out. And he is creating these moments where we have a serious choice to make. And he's like, are you going to pursue me? Are you going to go after this thing? You're going to go after this blessing. And when we do, God shifts everything about us. And so in Genesis 32, 21, Jacob had now left Laban and, and God had blessed him. And there's a lot in all that story, but he's at this place and um, Esau is on his way. And he's kind of worried that Esau is going to kill him and bump him and still mad about all the other shenanigans. And so he does all this stuff to try to make it work. But this is, this is the pivot moment for Jacob. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. And that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, <clears throat> his female servants and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford to Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? He said it like that. <laughs> then he blessed him there. I swear this was Jesus. I, I want to believe this was Jesus so bad. Is at least it was an angel, but I want to believe this was literally Jesus, the way he looks in The Chosen. I want to imagine that's exactly the way he's there wrestling him. I know, Jesus, you look cooler than that guy, but dang, he's pretty good, Jesus. Why do you ask my name? That's the interesting part of this whole story. Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, it is because I saw the face of God, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, and he passed uh, as he passed Penel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is an altar. See it? This is an altar, a place of remembrance of what God had done when we saw him face to face. There is a time coming. There is a time that is happening right now in the church of whether we are going to choose to pursue the gift, the blessing, the double portion anointing God has promised his church and the outpouring of his great love for people. And will we wrestle God for it? Will we hang on to the heel of God and just say, no, 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 I'm going after this thing and I am not letting it get it. I am not letting it get away from me. I'm not letting my own dysfunctions disqualify me from this blessing. I'm not letting my own shenanigans and my own trickster ways get in front of me and this blessing. I am going to be a man of God, a woman of God who will wrestle with God for the blessing and the favor and the double portion that is promised to me. Come on, will you be that person? 
You have to want it. It's a pivot point in the body of Christ. It's a pivot point in your life and my life. And will we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Will we go after the things that God has promised us? This place that they were camped at, before he names it Pinnell, it was Mahanium, something like that, which means the double camp. The blessing he was after was the double portion. The place he camped was the double portion. And what he got when he wrestled with God and he went face to face with God, toe to toe with him, is he got a double portion. He got what he was looking for, even if he had to learn it and get it a little bit the hard way. I think the church has had to get to this moment kind of a little bit the hard way. But I want Jacob's anointing. And this anointing that fell on Jacob was the fulfillment, the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham, which he would be the father of many nations. And God's favor came on Israel now, which is now what we call the nation of Israel, the children of God, God's chosen people, because they are those who wrestle with God and with man and overcome. That favor and blessing is on you as the church is on us. We are now the children of God alongside every believing Jew, okay? Every believing Jew, every believing Christian, we are now the children of God made as one people. And each one of us has this same inheritance, this same promise, this same double portion and blessing of the Father's love that will cause people to matter, to belong, to exist to Him. Through your love and your life, His love in your life, in and through every moment and every action that you have, do you want it? You know, when he wrestled with God, it, it, it's, it's like we think about, so well, in my mind, because I'm a simple person, um, I think about like he wrestled and then won. And that's not actually what happened. It, it actually means when he wrestled with God, he, was, he wrestled until he was submitted, but wouldn't let go. Isn't that kind of rad? So, I don't know if you guys have ever wrestled, but I used to like to wrestle a lot. And some of you have wrestled me, I'm sorry. And um, thinking of some people in the room. Um, but there's a moment when you're wrestling with someone and you're pinned. And you know you're done, but you're all locked up. That's my favorite thing to do to people, by the way, is to get them in that moment. And it's probably a problem. Um, <laughs> when I became the senior pastor of the church, my wife was like, there's like three wrestling moves you must retire. They're not allowed for senior pastors. I'm like, what? I tried. They were almost all retired. Now that I'm older, they are officially all retired. But that moment when you're all locked up and then one person has, sometimes it's equal, but one person has the other person like pinned and done, under submission. They're like, I give up. So Jacob was in that position. The angel or Jesus had wrestled him down and he was trying to get away, but Jacob couldn't win, but he wouldn't let go. And he got all tied up with God and then God had him in submission and Jacob had him all like tied up and he's all like, God won. 
But Jacob wouldn't let go. Je Jesus stand up. He's like all hooked onto him. He's like, I'm not letting go. He's like, but he was in submission but wouldn't let go. This is how God wants us. We wrestle with him and with ourselves, and God change, God change me. God, I give up my life and my old way of being. Will you just work out all the trickster ways of the shenanigans so that I can have your double portion, your blessing, the thing that you intended for me from the beginning, even if I wasn't in position from the beginning, God, I'm in pursuit. I might not have been in position, but dang it, I'm in pursuit of the thing that is the best thing. I want the double portion, the blessing, all the favor. I want all the good stuff. I want it trippy and awesome. And I want your love to just spill down in my heart and spill over into others. And there's something about when we wrestle God into submission. We wrestle him into our own submission to his will and won't let go. We wrestle God into submission until you are into submission and you won't let go of him. There's a thing I've been believing God for for about 20 years and I want it to happen today. I just do. I'm not in charge of it happening today. But I want to see such a great outpouring of the Father's love that every person that walks in to his church falls radically in love with him and just belongs and just knows I'm home, I'm loved. Who are these weird people? They just love me. Why is this my family now? But I know it's my family. And I wanna be in a place where God's love is so powerful, the Father's love is so present that each one of us is just passionately wants to see the best for everybody around us. And some person that thinks they're a woman, but they are dressed like a guy. There's somebody who just has their heart all messed up. They've been jacked up or you, they're in prostitution or I don't care what it is. I'm just trying to think of the things that we think, oh, that's crazy. I don't understand that. Yeah, of course. We're all crazy and people don't understand all the messed up, disordered things going on in our brains, right? But man, do we all need a place to belong and matter no matter where we're at in our life or our struggle. Are you ready? Are you open? Is your heart full of the love of the Father that if a person who is struggling in the hardest and worst of ways, they walk in the building, needle hanging out of their arm, uh, wearing clothes that you think, oh, maybe they should be wearing different clothes. Like, is the love of the Father in our hearts so strong that that person never experiences one ounce of judgment, just 100% love and acceptance and forgiveness. That is the kind of love that I've been wrestling with God for. I wanna feel that love. I want that love to be overwhelming in our house. Do you want it? Will you wrestle for it? Will you close your eyes with me for a moment? Jesus, we love you. Father, we love you, God. Will you just pour out your love? I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. Come on, will you just pursue him? I hunger and I thirst for righteousness, Jesus. I need you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, right now is your moment. The Bible says that each one of us have blown it. We're all flawed. We're all like Jacob. But Jesus came and he died to make all that right. 
And all we simply have to do is believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we put our hope and trust in him, he forgives all those flaws and all that sin. And he makes us instantly right with him. Not based on what we've done, but what he has done. He went to the cross, fully God and fully man, so that you and I could experience eternal life by his sacrifice, not our own. Jesus is asking you today, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that he's done that for you? If you're here today and you're saying, that's me, I believe Jesus did this for me. Just just give your life to him right now. Come on, just pray it. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. Pray it out loud from your heart to your lips. Come on, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Save me, forgive me, heal me, transform me. Set my heart on fire for you. Fill me, God, with your Holy Spirit. And right now, as we just, I want to transition to the time of worship, and I just want you, you can stand or sit however you want, is I want you to begin to ask the Father for his love to fill your heart, to fill your heart all the way up, contend for it, pursue it, chase after him. He loves the chase. Run after him. God, will you fill my heart with love for people? I want to be anointed to love people. Come on, will you begin to just ask him that? God, anoint me to love people. Anoint me to just be a father in the house, to experience the, the father's love in my heart so strong that people just belong around me. God, will you fill me with that kind of love right now? Father, will you show up right now? We love you today. I honor you, Father God. Will you let your love just show up and wave after wave, God, that you would cause us to belong and to matter, to be known, to exist, to be seen, that every person would experience that as they come in contact with your church, wherever we go, not just in the four walls, but God, everywhere we go, in our families, our homes, out in the workplace, God, that your love will just flow like a river so powerfully through our hearts and our lives that everyone around us will feel like they are seen, like they are known, that they matter, God. Purify my heart today. I pursue you today. I won't let go until I get you, God. I won't let go. Wrestle me into submission, and I won't let go, God. I want what you have. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.